0: Welcome to the Tri Tech Games Podcast. Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This
1: is Trav. This is Amber.
2: Welcome to the TriTac Games podcast, your podcast of pulling it all together and having an awesome game. This week, we're having a fringe-worthy bring it all together and just kind of summarize what we have been doing for the last, is it three years, Blix? Yes, three years and then some. Okay, because yeah. actually we're, we're on our third year, and it's been really great. And we have been having just uh, tons and tons of episodes on Fringeworthy. So we know that a lot of people have come in a little later. Not everybody has w- listened to every show. We don't understand why that is, because every one of them's golden, right, John? Yep. We said, okay. You know, we've talked about you know how to start the game We've talked about so many things We just want to pull together and say Alright, this is the way the game should be done And let's just talk about the most important Just Hit them, let's bang that gong So you can get basically the overview of it And get pointed to the directions you need to go In order to flesh out anything that you don't have totally down As far as making an awesome, fringe-worthy game The first thing I think you have to start off with is an awesome attitude! Fringeworthy is the most awesome game out there. This is completely cross-genre, which means that no matter what kind of game you like, you can play it, okay? Because Fringeworthy can cover everything. It covers science fiction, fantasy, horror, vampire, high and low fantasy, it can be a film noir, it can be whatever kind of game you want, because every world you go to is an alternative Earth, unless of course you go out to the star platforms and go to actually uh, alien worlds But so you can play the, the most amazing game and change it from week to week as you like So it's always evergreen you know the, That is one of the best and greatest bonuses to Fringeworthy And because of that, it really causes you as the GM to stretch And it causes your players to stretch. And I think your players and you need to embrace that idea that when you come into the game, you should be looking for opportunities to do things differently because you're on a different world and you're on a different adventure. And you should experiment and go crazy and have a great time.
3: You know, Bruce, I'll even take it a step further than that. It's not just that you can go to all these different worlds. It's that you combine them. So you could be a spaceman, you know, from... Star Trek era, and you know you wind up getting hooked up with a French worthy team, and wind up traveling to a Wild West world, or or traveling to a Dino Land. So it's not yeah. just it's not just any one genre that you can go to. You know you're crossing genres. You know you're going to alternates. You can you can go to a world where. You know, Rome never fell, so you've still got a lot of the Roman. You know, you got the Roman Senate, Senate, and you've got you know you've got Caesars. But it's 1985, and you know, uh, John Bon Jovi is on the TV, except he's wearing a, a toga. You know, <laughs> it's just that's the beauty of it. You can really go
2: crazy with it. And not only that, but because you are an explorer and you can cross from one world to another, a lot of times your solutions to the problems that your GM poses to you should not always be just whatever is there on that world. You can leave that world and go to a world with a with has some high-tech materials you might need and then go to another world where you can get them fashioned, you know, into something amazing by a wizard and go somewhere else to get of some things done by someone who's an expert in high fashion in the 1800s. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you could pull together from all these genres and all these different times and eras and things like that to a final solution for the problem that you have on a world which thinks of itself as the only thing that exists. But you know better.
1: I think it's a matter of scale. And we did do, I believe it was you and Blix that did the episode on. Scale in a campaign. How big... I mean, yeah, you have the capability with Fringeworthy to just go just as broad as you want. But we did say that how to start a campaign, you can't throw that scale at your players immediately. You do have to start small. And the capability, the possibility... Of that grand scale is limitless with this game
2: So the first step I think for making great adventures Is to make great characters Because your team members are going to be coming From all different walks of life and possibly from other worlds Especially depending upon whether you're further along In the timeline where there are more worlds That have joined the Earth Prime Commonwealth You can have a truly eclectic team That's going out and exploring the, the fringe Pass. We've had a lot of podcasts about different aspects of creating your characters. Most recently, we had the one on super-rich characters, where the Trav's co-host, uh, Eric the Enabler, came on and talked about how being a super-rich character was more than just having money. Uh, Trav, can you sum that up?
1: Yeah, uh, my co-host, Eric T. Spar, a.k.a. Eric the Enabler from my show... When I did Bureau 13 D20 playtesting, he played Jonathan Michael Price IV, one of the members of the Cabal families in Bureau 13 d 20 And playing a rich character, it is an attitude. It depends on the backstory of the character, how you got that money. If you're nouveau rich and you won the lottery, you can play that as just somebody with money. Price was born into the money. There is a mindset. That for playing that type of character that you have to have, that it's not the number of zeros that counts. It's what can be done with the money and the influence that that money brings about. It was a no-brainer for me to bring Eric on that episode because he had playtested that character when I tested Bureau 13D20
2: and john when when you did the uh play test the uh, the live recording i thought that your was he from mozambique the the soldier from africa who was now a break sport i thought that was very good that your accent and mm-hmm. and your characterizations were wonderful for that
0: oh yeah i mean i wanted to play something you know cuz this is going to be an international adventure people will be coming from everywhere but my current play test group right now yeah most of them are from america but uh, one was an, an ex-Russian, uh, 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 um, oh, I forgot the the term. He was he's a Russian soldier, but he is no longer a Russian soldier now. He's now, you know, free. <laughs> and, of course, the other person is playing a, a fellow from Sp- from Spain who who's actually was a knight, a Spanish knight, and now he's fringe-worthy. Oh, this is great. Of course, we, we discovered in this latest adventure that... We just realized he he, only, he he doesn't speak English fluently. In fact, he can speak about, I would say, Manuel from Faulty Towers' level of English. <laughs> and, he, of course, he's in Bloody Old England, in Victorian England at this time. It's like, oh, this is going to be fun having him try to talk. But he can speak perfect Congolese, because that's where they came out at. <laughs> right. And
2: because Bureau 13 World, uh, which is positive 13 node in our Fringeworthy universe is part of the Fringeworthy universe there's no reason why characters from Bureau 13 that is set on that world couldn't be playing. So Amber your character that you told us so much about on our last episodes on Banger Maine there's no reason why that character couldn't be discovered to be Fringeworthy and you could play that person as well. Why don't you tell a little bit about that character?
4: Serendipity is what 3400 years old? Yes
2: and, and she doesn't look a day over 20. No, she doesn't.
4: She really doesn't. Maybe maybe borderline 21. She's 3,400 years old. She was born Egyptian royalty, 1900 BC, um, half-succubi. She's pretty much traveled all across the world. She's been at several historical moments in history, such as the fall of Constantinople. Don't you give me that look. <laughs> And she and I have
1: plenty of running jokes about the history of serendipity. Anyways.
4: And currently she she kinda accidentally stumbled on Banger Main and they pretty much just grabbed her and said, We're keeping you. And she's been working with them ever since, primarily as a advanced a instructor, yeah. Because not only is she familiar with how to teach, but she's been there. She knows.
2: So she could bring a uh, quite a an interesting perspective to a lot of the worlds that she might go to, especially the ones that were time retarded in the, the Fringeworthy universe. Oh
4: yeah, she's at the point where she's not allowed into the history section of the library because she tends to destroy books trying to fix things
2: <laughs> because they're always wrong, right? Right.
1: It's yeah. like She's like, no, I was there, and of course the the librarian at, at Bangerin's like, no, yeah. right. no, um, we we decided personally not to make serendipity fringe worthy cuz just be let, no that would just be too much and so
4: she already has the best of both worlds half human half succubus
1: yeah we we i i really batted that idea around i just went that's no. like pouring gasoline on a flame no but right. no somebody like saren or anybody from the bureau 13 world if they were to be found to be fringe worthy Yes, that would be a whole new twist on a fringeworthy team, and I made the character, the liaison between Idet and Bureau Thirteen Colonel Shay Talbot, as a means of incorporating those two games together. I made that's another NPC I did in my uh, playtesting, and so she's originally from the Victorian world, joined with Idet, realized what she could do, and basically made her own meal ticket, being this liaison. So that would that she's a good way to introduce Bureau 13 characters into the fringeworthy settings like, oh, this Bureau agent, yeah, they're fringeworthy. Okay, we'll send them to Alice Springs and have them train and then incorporate them from there.
2: So this gives you a rich source of all kinds of different possibilities. You're not limited to just the people on Earth Prime, you know, the people that you can imagine. I mean, literally, you have anybody from any possible world that's in is part of your fringeworthy worthy game. So it really behooves you to encourage your GM to go- take you to more and more strange, unusual worlds because they provide you with more sources of interesting characters to bring into the game as characters for you to play. And uh, along the same ideas of that, we also talked about with uh, Jess Hartley uh, things like gender issues about about what are the roles. And if there are differences in roles between men and women, or male and female, because we are talking about also non-human species as well, we talked about things like what if your character has, you know, uh, a helper animal? What if your character loves pets? What are the sorts of things that you can do to make your character really stand out and make it fun for you to play? So if you are somebody who happens to love, you know, dogs, there's no reason why you can't have a companion animal along or even a gorilla or uh, a horse or anything else. No, there are issues involved with bringing those on the fringe Pass because it's a hostile environment. It's like bringing any animal to a desert. It's not a very uh, healthy place for anybody to live because it's totally un- it's not a natural place. However, that doesn't mean you can't do it we had an episode on pets we had an ep- we had two episodes on gender issues we also talked about you know because you could have people from different times and also s- levels of society high and low tech characters all on the same team how to resolve those things those are things that you guys should be checking into if you're not already aware of them on our earlier podcast because you know those are important issues you have somebody from the 1800s they can Operate effectively with somebody from a Star Trek universe and not feel like one's overshadowing the other or being pedantic or something like that to each other. Everybody has something to offer. And you just have to start thinking about how your what your character brings to the table that's not only unique but also essential compared to other characters. And also realize that your character is going to change. The person who is from a world that's so high tech that they don't know how to cook a meal over a campfire because they're used to pulling a tab on a can and it producing a a self-heated meal, can learn a lot of these survival skills while someone who would be at ease in the middle of a desert, finding and hunting down and skinning his own food, can learn to be a, a beautiful musician just with application of time and effort and development of their character.
1: Yeah, we we brought that up about how high and low-tech characters usually boils down to, well, you're the low-tech character, therefore you do all the grunt work. No, no, no. Every, Every time, every place, everybody from those different times and places have different things that they bring to the table that is their team. So, yeah, you may have the... I'm just throwing stuff out here. The holographic artist from 2250 and the peasant farmer from the 1500s. They'll have a lot to teach each other if they're on the same fringe-worthy team.
2: So create an interesting character. Create a character that not only is great to begin with, but can be developed to be even greater. To go in unexpected directions as you bump into all kinds of unexpected people and interesting NPCs that your GM is throwing at you. And GMs, you need to check these out too because that's how you can create interesting characters especially anti-heroes, characters that are doing heroic things, but not in a heroic fashion, perhaps, or perhaps they don't fit the mold of the, uh, you know, square-jawed hero that, that some people might expect off of, uh, these, uh, of a pulpish-type adventure, yet at the same time could be just as heroic in the long run. Once you get that, once you have one of those great characters, the next thing you need to do is you need to basically... Trick them out, right, John? It's time
0: to to gear up. Well, being fringe, you have, to, of course, you have two, you have two, you know, issues there. One, you need equipment. You, you you make you awesome off off the pathways, but you also need stuff on the pathways to make you awesome as well. Right. So, you have a lot of. Uh,
2: and you start off the game with a hundred thousand dollars, even before the the IDet starts giving you stuff.
4: <laughs> Kachin.
3: I would also say, you know, when it comes to tricking out your character, don't be limited to money as well. Mm -hmm. I think um, if you're talking about fringe worthy, you know, depending on what part of the campaign that you're in, you know, if you're doing early campaign, this would be less flexible, but the later you get into the campaigns, the more flexible this would become, is to allow your players to, uh, you know, maybe you come up with a price range for it or you just let them have it or maybe you spend some, you know, you let them spend some of their character development points depending on what system you're using. But, you know, have them. Let somebody have a laser gun. Let somebody have a magic wand. As we've said before, they're not going to give you some unbelievable benefit that you know, you'll rule the game because they, they all have their limitations. You, know, you have a laser gun, that's great. You step through the pe- French path, you've got to wait for the thing to recharge. When you get to a world that you're going to, again, you have to let it recharge before you can use it. So it's not this all-powerful thing.
1: And also, uh, Blix, when you're talking about magic, remember, magic does not work on every node. Congratulations! You're holding a stick with a piece of quartz on it.
3: Right, and and I, I was getting to that, you know, and you can also let them have, you know, like I said, the later you get into campaigns, the more this is available. You know, they could have cybernetics, they could have any worlds that have already been discovered. You could let them have something from any one of those worlds because there's no reason why their character, unless it's a brand new, brand stinking new character, who you're saying no, you've never been there until you go there, you can't have it. If you're playing a character who's even been into some training and maybe been on a mission or two before you start the campaign, they could have anything from anywhere that's already been discovered.
1: Blix, one thing about cybernetics if they're not like wetware, would cybernetics work on the fringe? I think we've already said no.
3: Unless they're like wetware, let's say they work off the body's bioenergy, then yes, you'd have issues. But let's say it's a cybernetic arm and you're okay with that arm being dead for the first half hour, you know, after you walk through the French path. If you're fine with it, then whatever.
1: Okay. If you're if your player is willing to like take the minuses to skills and like strength rolls and all that, okay, yeah. yeah. I mean if that that's something that player and GM would have to agree, agree on. on. Yes, thank you.
2: Yeah. You might have full body replacement is probably not gonna work out too well, you know, for fringe break sports. However, uh, cybernetic enhancements okay so for, for, while you're on the fringe path you're like everybody else maybe a little slower uh, because you're carrying a little a lot extra weight that's just basically inert in your body but once you get to the world and you get recharged then all of a sudden now you're amazing again right
3: and imagine you've got like let's say you get one of your eyes replaced with a cybernetic you know some some badass cybernetic eye it's got all these really cool things in it Okay, so you can't see out of that one eye while you're traveling on the fringe path and for the first half hour after you get out.
4: What about artificial intelligence, cyborgs, androids, things that are not human in nature but maybe function off of something that was once human?
1: You mean like a transferred intelligence?
4: Yeah.
1: Um, From what I understand, Pip, uh, transferred intelligence, yeah, there's a human soul, but it's still within a computer. And as soon as that android would walk through the fringe path, thud down the ramp.
3: The only way I think you could get around that is if you had a system built specifically for it. Like, for example, you know, it was like in a robot body or whatever, and
0: or well, it's a biocomputer.
3: It, well, I was gonna say, hold on. I was gonna go with this. Let's say it's let's say it's a, you know, it's got a robot body that it travels around in. It sits in the car, and then it dumps itself down onto a CD, and then you go through a CD-like device. And you go through the French path, and it's basically out of the adventure until you get where you're going and it has a chance to recharge itself. And then it would dump itself back from the CD onto the memory and reboot itself. Or somebody to flip a switch and it would do it. Or like you said, John, maybe it's a biocomputer.
4: I've heard of variants of artificial intelligence, a cybernetic person that may have a body completely mechanical or bioengineered or what have you, but they still have a human brain. How
0: would that function? Uh, I think if like, you ever seen Ghosts in the Shell, Major Motor Major uh, Kusanagi is that way. Her entire body's her entire body's been replaced. Only yep. thing left is her brain. Yeah.
2: It,
3: but on the French path, that would be an issue because the yeah. brain still needs to be oxygenated, and for that, it needs all that stuff that the body gives it.
2: The, the player and the GM should work together on this. We've all read books where there's been synthesis between animals and people, where you could have. Uh, let's say an, an animal, uh, a, a giant bug or something like that, in, you know, embedded in your body that acts as your heart because your heart was destroyed. So in the same sort of thing, there would have to be something that would be able to keep pumping blood and oxygen, some form of lung to keep the brain going while the rest of the body was inert. And then when the bot- body came back online, then it would be able to pick back up to that organic
0: brain.
1: I'm reminded of the brain tanks and Incursion.
0: Well, yeah, but also don't forget there is one device that works just f- device all that stuff while you're on the pa- platform, a Termelin dock box. If you can somehow plug that brain I- into that dock box while you're traveling, no problem. Dock box keep it alive until you get it off, and you plug it back into the body.
4: What about organ transplants or organ transportation? Obviously, if an organ is separated from a body, what means if, besides from this box, would we have to preserve that organ so it does not fail? Right? Lots of
0: dry ice. The Lots of dry
1: cool. ice, yeah. <laughs> That's how organ couriers do it anyway. So.
4: Well, you'd think yeah. that there would be a different method, because what if you're somewhere that they don't have dry ice? No.
2: Again, it, it kind of depends on what you want to do and, and what the tech level is. You know, may, maybe there's uh, some form of alternate fluid that will just cause whatever organ you put into it to go into a suspended state What is it's done at room temperature. I mean, it's it's up to you and the GM what you want to do as uh, as far as making that work. All we say is that on the fringe pass, electricity doesn't work. Nuclear materials get turned inert. So whatever solution you come up with that doesn't include those two things is fine, as far as we're concerned.
0: <laughs> if it involves a dozen hamsters running re- operating a heart lung machine, then that's what you get. Especially if they're intelligent, that would be great, man.
4: Well, remember before when we talked about. Um- Pregnancies and the fetus being yeah. fringe worthy during a travel through, even for uh, like test tube babies, as it were, could that also apply to organs if you have an artificial host to preserve the life form or the organ?
2: I don't know how to answer mm-hmm. because I'm not sure what organs we're talking about here. We're talking about brains. Then, not you know brains,
4: but maybe kidneys or hearts, or what if there is somebody in one plane that needs a replacement, but they're not stable enough to take them through the portal, or through okay. the, the fringe path?
2: If you have the ability to graft an organ onto another being and have it carry that organ somewhere then there's no, I have no problem with it. I mean, it always is. We just have a couple of limitations on the fringe pass, As long as you stay within them, I think, I say, use your imagination, go, go big, you know, do whatever you can. Hey, you want to go really big? I just had a thought.
3: Let's say you have a character who's an AI who's learned how to integrate into the, the fringeworthy system itself. Cause it is a big computer. Now you don't have to get many powers or anything in that. He doesn't have to know how to understand the systems or operate the systems. He can just travel within them. Basically, this robot body, when, it, you know, when his robot body goes through the portal in this vehicle or whatever, the intelligence jumps out um, into the French system. And then when they get where they're going, it jumps back into that robotic body.
1: Okay, I like that idea. But I mean, that's going big. There's nothing in the game that says that
3: can't happen. That's kind of a neat idea for a character. As a matter of fact, because if you have to talk to him, let's say you're traveling the French Pass, right? And you're like, um, you're like, oh, we need to talk to that guy. You'd walk up to a pylon, right? And a little hologram would appear. Hey, what's up, man? What do you need? <laughs> you, you know yeah. what I mean? Like at any point, you could talk to him. You just have to stop at a pylon to talk to him.
0: Okay.
3: Or maybe it appear, maybe it appear in that dark shape of the portal, that the the dark event horizon thing of the portal, as like a you know like mirror mirror on the wall. Um, you know, he'd appear in it.
0: And of course, if he has a sense of humor, he'll appear at full size, which is 25 right. feet tall. <laughs> <laughs>
1: or he'll be like the face of the the machines at the uh, near the end of Matrix Revolutions, where it's like particles. be like the face of uh, Tron. The particles, yeah, the particles
0: are making MC. you yeah. will be at the face of the MC. Yeah. Uh, MCP. MCP. Or Oz.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying you get have fun with something like that. Yeah. yeah because we're we're actually, I mean to give it perspective, we are actually playing a, a Star Trek campaign right now where one of the guys is he's an artificial intelligence. and we managed to get him a robot body. but he jumps in and out of computer systems and stuff. And for the most part, his character can't do anything physical unless that robot body is around, which is not a lot of the time it's not just because of the situation. So, he has to play with a lot of limitations. Like, he has a lot of advantages in that it's hard for his character to die. And his character is not subject to a lot of things that we are. But at the same time, there's a lot his character cannot do at any given time. So, that's the kind of limitations you have to play with a character like that. But you would get all those benefits as well. I'm just saying it's not all gravy.
2: Right. So, you know, gear can be, you know, internal, external. It can be uh, uh, resources. It can be friends and enemies on other worlds. Contacts. It can be uh, skills and and licenses of various kinds. You know, uh, the ability to fly a plane. You know, I'm checked out on F-16s. I mean, all kinds of stuff. When you talk about gear, it's not just the stuff that you pick up in your hands. It's your vehicles, which include. Cars and boats and planes, semis and uh, earth-moving vehicles and submarines and even uh, spacecraft. If you happen to have access to that sort of thing, and there are places on the fringe paths where you can get them. When you start playing for your character, now we don't—we're not saying that you should spend three weeks, uh, three, you know, a hundred sessions creating. Think about all these different things to do. That's why we had the podcast. We talked about uh, the best ways, the best ideas we had for each of these subjects. So we really hope you guys will check out our podcast on these things. We did one on, we called them packing for survival. And if you go to up to the Practics.podbean.com uh, uh and look for that under that filter. We've got sea vehicles, air vehicles, land vehicles, fringe worthy in space, fringe vehicles, vehicles that actually are powered by the fringe pass. We're talking about protection as far as weaponry. We're talking about non-lethal weaponry so you don't have to kill somebody just because you're out there. Uh, Data gathering techniques, and and that also comes into the things like cybernetics. Cool equipment of all kinds, life support, armor, environmental suits, weapons. airbags, and communication gear, whether it's something you put on your head or something that's embedded in your body. I mean, these are all things that you could have, and you should trick your characters out with them and have fun with them. And just as long as your GM clears it, I say go for it, big time. We want to thank everybody for listening to us, and we hope that we've been able to pull it all together for you and, and let you know that it is possible to create awesome and amazing, fringeworthy campaigns and that you have a huge amount of resources in our podcast uh, Especially our uh, Elder episodes And the other resources that are out there Such as Obsidian Portal and other things Please, you know, start a campaign Please create an awesome game for yourself You know, create awesome characters And please let us know that you've done this because we want to learn all about the great things that you've done with the fringeworthy game. And promote it on our podcast and let everyone know what you know that you with us love this game.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And we're gonna have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer
0: saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players.
4: This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trab. There's a
1: reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.
0: Yo, brothers. This was the tri tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at tri tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers.